I'm Tammy Vendonger, host for Executive with a Cause, and today on the show, I welcome Cindy Reese Mitchell. She's the founding CEO and now the chief impact officer of Millhouse Ventures. She's also a PhD candidate in indigenous women's entrepreneurship and leadership, the founding director and chair of the Social Enterprise Council of ACT in New South Wales, the non-executive director of the Social Ventures Australia, and many, many, many other things. I, I could keep on rattling on forever. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you very much, Tammy. Um, we've known each other for a while. We have. I, I reckon it's at least a decade when you were over at the Lighthouse Ventures yep. at the time. Yep. And that, too, was um, you know, kind of similar to, to Millhouse, but for profit. Yeah, I've been rattling around in this economic development enterprise, micro-enterprise, social enterprise space for about 15 years. So most of my time since I've been in Australia, I've been doing this sort of economic development work. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's start with Millhouse because I I, um, I think that that's a, a good foundation for when we talk about operations mm-hmm. and the nuts and bolts of how to make things happen. Um, you were the founding CEO of that organization. Tell us more about that. Okay. Um, the, the term founding CEO is a little bit of a misnomer, but yes, I am in fact the first CEO of Millhouse Ventures, but it's important to understand, I guess, if you really want to understand operationally how this works, how it actually came together. Yes. So um, the Millhouse uh, started as a consortium of the University of Canberra, uh, Service One, who are um, a, a credit union that's part of the Bendigo Bank uh, Alliance, uh, and the Canberra Innovation Network in the ACT government. And so they came together and they were looking, and this is about 2015, and they were trying to understand how they could, I guess, more invest in this new thing called social enterprise. Of course, it wasn't new in 2015, um, but in terms of how our innovation ecosystem worked, there really wasn't any place for people who were like, well, yes, I want to do business, but I want to center purpose in this business. And I think this thing is called social enterprise, but I don't really know what it's called. Long story short, um, it actually started with um, the members of Service One because they are a social enterprise, um, being a, 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 um, a member-owned credit union. So they approached the University of Canberra and said, "Hey, you're, you're you know the region's university. You're supposed to do civic things. Help us do this civic thing, which is figure out how can we establish a social enterprise hub in Canberra." So at that point, Tammy, I was working in the public service. I had taken a break. I just finished um, starting my first social enterprise. It was an emotional roller coaster. I was basically licking my wounds in the public service. <laughs> and I get this call out of nowhere. It says, hey, um, from a friend of mine who, was, who worked at the University of Canberra. And he says, uh, so this bank wants to give us money to do this thing called social enterprise. I've never heard of it, but can you help? And of course, I nearly dropped the phone because that was my passion. Um, and I had really struggled with um, getting the sort of support that I needed when I was on my social enterprise journey. So to make a long story short, I came in and basically started to draw this collaboration into this thing called the Social Enterprise Hub. Um, and I immediately did what any good CEO does, which is not what I was asked to do. Because so, <laughs> they were like, okay, we want to start this thing called the Social Enterprise Hub, and we think the best way to do that is if we find a building. And if we buy a building and we invest in you know, real estate and we, we set up a co-working space, and, we, and I go, hang on a minute, 
what is the point of having a building if you don't have a community? Mm. If you haven't actually brought together people who are of a similar sort of purpose. And that was really the the starting point for what would then become the Millhouse Ventures, which was what is this so how can we bring together a community of profit for purpose entrepreneurs, um, those who were interested in supporting them, those who are interested in working with them, those who are interested in investing with them, and that community is what that became the mission of the Millhouse. So you didn't buy a building? We did not buy a building. And look, I think now it's you know it's six years in now. I think now we could buy a building. Like <laughs> because we, we would fill it. We would, you know, we would actually that that could actually be a meaningful business model for mm. for the Millhouse. But before it was also at a time when, you know, every man and his dog was opening a co-working space in this town. And it was like, wait a minute, space is not the issue here. It's actually how do we bring a community around these people? How do we center this work in a way that it is basically considered sort of um, uh, um, basically a, um, a practical and a real way to intervene in the lives of people? Because there were a lot of people, and still to this day, who are deeply suspicious of anything that has to do with purpose and profit yeah. and making money and business. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. I won't get Well, ahead. I mean, let's let's go back a little bit to there's a lot of talk about social enterprises and there's a lot of definitions about that as well. What do you use as a definition for a social enterprise? Right. Um, really good question. And, and it is contested, like you said, in lots of different understandings of it. Um, but first of all, um, social enterprises are first are businesses. So they are um, entities that trade in a product or a service. Um, but the purpose of that business is to generate tangible, measurable, social, cultural, economic, or environmental impact. So they usually are two things. They are both a business, and they also are some uh, some type of usually social service intervention, or could be an environmental intervention. Whereas the business is always secondary to that to that impact narrative is what we call it. So it's about how do we how do we use business to sustain that. Now in reality in Australia and in our the way our sort of ecosystem works, it is very rare for for a social enterprise to be completely self-sustaining. These are usually hybrid organizations. So they have a uh, they have a combination of income from trade, but also from grants and philanthropy and other sources of income because they're trying to constantly balance these two things. Mm. Um, and the the other thing where I often get people are surprised, it, it's not a it's not a legal definition. So a, a social enterprise can be a for profit. It can be a, a company limited by shares. It can also be a not for profit. Um, it could also be a not for profit that is a charity. It does. It can be social enterprise can work in any of those organizational forms. And the underlying principles is basically that it does have a a for profit business model behind it, but that profit is being used to generate, or or the purpose of the organization is being used to generate, to generate that impact. That, that impact. Yep. Okay. So there's there's that sort of tangible connection between, you know, the surpluses or the profits that are generated and this actual thing that the founders and whoever are developing that organization have a social license to operate. Yeah. So it's 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 very much connected. I've met a lot of what I think are social enterprise organizations. In fact, I have um, another interview later that they didn't see themselves as a social enterprise. But yep. my definition was um, to this particular founder was that it is so loud. Your mission is so loud to me that there's a social inter- impact tied to it that I can't help but think you're a social enterprise. Mm, that's really interesting. And, yeah. it, and it's only because that mission statement is so loud. It's not yeah. obviously to generate money for your pocket. 
Yep. And look, it's, it's a funny thing, Tammy, because I feel like my, the first year of Millhouse, it was just me. And all I did was drive around and tell people, hey, you're a social entrepreneur. And they went, what? <laughs> um, you know, because they just didn't, they didn't necessarily have yeah. the language. So then you think, well, what's the purpose of this language? Um, you know, particularly when I first started doing this, you know, um, 10 years ago, there was just a lot of real, you know, people who would just would not want to talk about mission and business in the same sentence. It was sort of automatically your social washing or, you know, the questioning your intentions. And I think now by having this community of people and growing community of people in Australia and globally using this term, it's like, no, no, we're, we're for real. <laughs> um, we are actually committed to using our businesses, um, which are, you know, typically used to create wealth just for ourselves, but to create wealth for our communities. Yeah. Do you think that there's a bit of social washing to that extent now. Like I know Simon Sinek had a book with talking about let's start about let's start with why. I forget if that's the correct title, but it's something close to something that. Like that. <laughs> and and now every business is is trying to go back to the mission statement and making sure that that why is loud yeah. enough where everybody understands it. But at the same respect, you know, in the environmental space, we talk about greenwashing where yeah. people will throw environmental benefits that necessarily don't exist. Do you see that happening as yeah, well? Look, I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm real, I'm a realist, you know, I live in the real world, just like everyone else, you know, I, I, I understand um, that there's a spectrum here and that social enterprises and social entrepreneurs also don't have a corner on some sort of moral high ground or or impact. Social enterprise is a very specific way. But look, my, my mission is to transform the nature of capitalism. So to have, for, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies talking about impact, hey, that's further than they were 20 years ago or yeah, 30 years ago. True. So, you know, I'm not the one, I'm not maybe because I just I'm an optimist and I and I look for the best in people when when I see people starting to have those conversations I lean in and I want to go okay great how do we now how do you how do we make you accountable for that yeah so how do we make sure that it's more than just marketing and then they'll let themselves their intentions will then be come obvious up. They'll, yeah. it'll be obvious you know <laughs> and it's like okay well look when you're ready to look at here, here's what we do in social enterprise mm. we do put ourselves out on the line and we do put ourselves out on the line for this for this impact and we make what would otherwise be you know pretty straightforward businesses really hard for ourselves because we're also trying to do this other thing you know you might not be ready to do that right now but when you are here we are we'd love yeah. for you to join this club Oh, yeah. I, I'm thinking about some companies that have been out there for a long time you know like Patagonia um Certainly, as a private company, they could do things that they can't do if they're a uh, Fortune 500 um, trading company. Now, let's go back, though. I want to go all the way back down <laughs> to Millhouse because I feel like if we don't talk about the nuts and bolts of that organization first, you started it with just yourself. Yeah. Um, so they start, So this consortium started it with, uh, with this idea of a, a social enterprise hub for Canberra. I came along, and because I was its only employee um, and was its only employee for really the first two years, um, I sort of got to mold and I had a lot, I had just wonderful board. I have the best board in the world. And I basically gave me a lot of autonomy and they really trusted me to go out into the community, understand what the need was and then come back to them. And so basically what, what, where we arrived at the end of the first year was, okay, we've got this wonderful thing called the Canberra Innovation Network here. And they offer all sorts of programs and support and they, they're able to take entrepreneurs on a journey. Um, can we do something like that? 
that for these for-purpose entrepreneurs? And I said, yeah. Mm. <laughs> In fact, we can borrow some of that stuff. There, there's nothing about lean startup and, and, and that innovation stuff that we can't actually apply here. Um, but we just need to do it. We just need to do it in a slightly different way because the people who are approaching social enterprise, they're typically not coming at it from a business perspective. So you kind of have to teach them the dark arts of capitalism in a way that is much more sort of comfortable for them. Um, it takes them a little bit, you know, a little bit slower. Not not that you know we have really clever people who are working with us, but it's about the why. It's always and it's always about um, putting it in the context of who. Whose life are we trying to change? Okay, so if we, if, in order to do that and sustain that, we got to make some money because nobody's going to give us enough money to do this. Yeah. Um, so that, that, those are the two things. So obviously you're constrained yourself by resources. Absolutely, and, just and me. the Canberra Business Innovation Network is a sister organization yes. per se. So how did you continue to grow the 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 platform, I guess, yeah. um, the community? How did you do that with so few resources yourself? The secret sauce um, was basically how can I infect <laughs> as many other people in, in this community as possible um, with this understanding and appreciation for social entrepreneurship. So what do I mean by that? If you are a person who's trying to start out in business, there are a whole lot of people that you got to bounce up against. You've got, you probably will go meet other entrepreneurs. You'll go see an accountant. You'll see a lawyer. You might see a business advisor or a coach. I started bringing those people into my network <laughs> and talking to them about social entrepreneurship and saying, ah, you know, you're, you're an accountant. And I, and I started meeting people. I'd, I'd go talk to accountants. Um, one of my first partners that I work with is just down the street, Harry Hong. And it's like, ah, I have a lot of these not-for-profit organizations in my portfolio. I'm seeing as an accountant, man, man, their businesses suck. <laughs> I mean, you know, they like, what's going on with them? And I go, oh, well, let me tell yeah. you about why their businesses are challenging. And so yeah. where I'm getting at is I started, started basically building a community who was then ready to receive these for-purpose traders in a different way, as opposed to where it had been diff had been previously, where a lot of times they would go to a mainstream business advisor, business enterprise center, the Canberra Innovation Network, and people were like, that's a dumb idea. You're never going to make any money on that. And that, and it's like, but that's not the point. And they would be dismissed and they would be, mm. you know, told that that's, that's stupid or go and make a million dollars and then give back to charity like every like other philanthropists. And they're like, that's not, that's not how I want to do this business. Um, so really it was about building, um, building that group first. And so the secret sauce of Millhouse is really easy. We have a really small um, team of people who work with us at any given time. I've never had more than five employees. Um, but um, we usually have every year between 40 and 60 mentors. So these are social impact investors, they're philanthropists, they're accountants, they're lawyers, they're business coaches, and we bring them into the family. Um, and that's, that's how it works. And so they're all volunteers. They're all volunteers. Yeah. What, what a great concept to think that you could bring professionals from the outside to, to drive these, these missions that, uh, especially with people that don't have business backgrounds, I, I, I suppose that's probably a lot of the people that you see. Look, it, it is often the, if you look at the sort of social enterprise community, it is often people with the lived experience of the thing that they want to intervene in who say, you know, wow, I've, I've, I've gone down this route with this charity or I've gone down this route with this business, but I can see I want to do it differently. Um, and so, yes, exactly. They, they often don't necessarily have a business background. Um, so part of what we have, what we do at Millhouse is we try to shore up some of that. We try to put some stilts and we try to, try to put, put a little bit of foundation around them. And oftentimes it's, it's really, it's not, um, I call it, it's a difference between sort of individual capability building and venture building. 
what we really decided early in the game is that we were going to be focused on venture building. And so when you take that orientation, someone comes to you and you go, well, I, I can't look at you and go, well, actually, Tammy, you really need to get an MBA or actually you really need to take a bookkeeping course. Mm -hmm. That's not it. It's saying, well, actually, these are the people that you need to build around you in order for this venture to be sustainable. And mm -hmm. then you, with eight full agency, you then decide if you're ready to build that venture or not. Yeah. What are some examples of successful social entrepreneur type businesses that you've been helping along the way? Um, look, there's there there are lots, um, but I always like to talk about. It. I hope you get to interview them if you haven't already. Um, Francis Awusu and Culture and Culture Break. Um, Culture Break uh, has been around in Canberra um, for 20 years. So they are a on the surface. If you look at the business, um, they offer dance classes. So they do these in school. They do after school programs. They also had a range of sort of leadership programs. But Culture Break has always been more than just dance classes. They really are creating opportunities for youth, and they found a really um, an interesting niche in that a lot of the young people who were attracted to their programs were those who had experienced bullying, maybe they were from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, and really this experience, the idea that anybody, regardless of your natural talent, could be a dancer, and that you could be in these environments, like that was the secret sauce. And so when, when they came to Millhouse, it was like, okay, well, they, they're like any other charity, they're never going to be able to charge enough to cover their cost, right? Because mm -hmm. it's an after-school program, you want to make it, um, or, or even some during during school, so you want to make it as low cost, just put the barriers to entry, because you, you want to get that outcome around youth empowerment and, and leadership and, and, and growth. So then, you know, it was always one year after another charity, you know, philanthropy, trying to get a grant here, a grant there. Um, and so when, when, we, when they came to Millhouse, they were one of, in our first, very first class, um, and what we looked at is, okay, well, what is the unique value proposition here? What, it, what actually is happening? And we, we talked about the fact that many of these kids, um, by their experience in Culture Break, they were then looking at, uh, looking at careers in basically in the creative sector, you know, doing art, doing design, doing film, doing media, doing graphics, doing, doing dance teaching, doing other things. And it's like, ah, oh, you're actually creating a whole raft of pathways for young people that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And so then we looked at, well, that's actually a business. Oh. <laughs> um, and so, and that became what is now Elevate Academy, which is a, a, a project that, they, that they're, that they're going, I think they're probably in their third class now, and they're looking at becoming an RTO and partnering with unis. And so it's actually something that, you know, that started quite small and, and needed to, and, and to the point where it's like, oh, well, we actually have something that we can commercialize. Yeah. So, so as part of the task of Millhouse is to identify where that business opportunity is? is yeah. That, yeah. Okay. So it's about, well, it's always to start with the impact, right? So it's always, well, what, what do we want to do next? What, where, what, um, if I look at all of the success stories, it always starts with the, this is what we're doing right now. This is what our business can sustain right now in terms of, well, we're, we're, we're reinvesting half of our profits into this social, this, this cause over here, or we're employing this many people with disabilities and that's fantastic, but we want to employ even more. Mm. Or all the people who work with us right now on the north side of Canberra and we have none on the south side of Canberra, how do you do that? So that becomes the, the, the call to action. And then it's, okay, well, what's the business? <laughs> what, what, what thing can we sell <laughs> um, or commercialize that's going to allow us to be able to, in the process, also achieve this outcome? That's actually hard, though. It's, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about all the people that want to do good things and then trying to find a commercial model that, that makes that successful. Yeah. 
Yeah, and look, it's not it, and it's that it's not always there. That's the other thing. It's like, well, you have to. It might be that you actually need to reevaluate where you want to have your impact. And yes, I know that on your mission statement on your website, it says that, you know, that no child in Canberra goes to bed hungry. But if you look at your resources, if you look at the income that you're able to generate, you might only be able to do that for half of Charnwood. So let's just be realistic. Let's just say it's about Charnwood yeah. <laughs> and be really focused on that. There's nothing wrong with Charnwood, like being focused on that community. But let's scale our impact and let's not be Let's not be, um, I guess, over overclaiming by saying, "Well, we we exist to help all children in Canberra." When in fact, you only generate a hundred thousand dollars in income last year. Like that's yeah. that's not the 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 problem versus what you are able to do in terms of your resources. They don't match up. So sometimes it's it's as much. Yes, we do lots of business work, but oftentimes it's it's also looking at well, what impact do you actually can you actually can you can actually be attributed to you? Yeah. Um, what and that's that that ability to be able to evaluate the difference that you make. That's that's actually the really key difference in terms of what we do in the social enterprise sector. How, so let's go back to that and look at Millhouse specifically. How do you measure success with Millhouse? Uh, so that's an interesting thing, and it's, it's one that we always challenge because we are an intermediary. So I can't claim Culture Break's impact, like in the sense of that, because that's they do that. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, uh, uh, the the this is always a challenge because... To be a successful intermediary, you're actually invisible, <laughs> which makes it really hard when you're trying to make a proposition to funders about, well, actually, we do all this stuff in the background. We, we make connections and we help people look at their business models and we introduce them to impact partners that they might not have otherwise have been able to be introduced to. So it's those sorts of things that we, you know, we have after it, take, it took us years, you know, but we have developed a, a monitoring evaluation sort of framework for the Millhouse. And um, now in my various roles, I've, you know, had a chance to speak with other social enterprise intermediaries in other parts of the world. And we're all looking at the same things. It's how many mentors we have. It's how many referrals to professional service um, providers. It's absolutely the stories of our ventures and the feedback that that they give us as as founders about about our role. And usually you do that over time. So you might get something, you might get one view of Millhouse at the end of an intensive amount of work. So let's say someone's just gone through the accelerator program. Um, You might get one (laughs) version and then we'll go back to them maybe six months later and a year later and then you'll get, you know, they're like, wow, now we understand. Now now we get it, um, what your role was in terms of this. And so I, I love it when I see, I feel like, you know, the last six years, I've just built this incredible family that I'm so proud of. And I love it when I go to a website of one of our ventures and they still have a little thank you to Millhouse or, you know, it's like, it's been six years since you were in our program and yet you're still talking, you know, but that's that's um, there's a I guess now because we've had you know lot, quite a bit a few alumni who've gone through there is this pride that they took that time to invest in their own capacity and they recognize that they are now leaders in this space and other people are looking to them at, yeah. at how, you know how, how do you do this and and so with with that in mind has your funding changed over time no it's been really tiny the whole time yeah, <laughs> so okay. we so we started with you know this this social enterprise hub. Um, and then, it, and then this community, and that's really where we are at. You know, five years in, and 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 we've actually, you know, not to spill the beans of sort of internal um, machinations, but we've had to have, you know, as a board, we've had this real, 
you know, okay, where do we, we can do lots of stuff. We can just keep getting bigger and bigger. This community keeps getting bigger, but our resource pot yeah. is, is finite. And so we've, you know, at this stage, we've, we've been really fortunate. The Snow Foundation has just come on um, with us this year now for the next three years. Um, and that was really, for me, uh, that was really critical to have, you know, one of Canberra Region's most important social impact investors now up really recognizing our role as a, a capability builder. Um, we've worked many years now with Hands Across Canberra in a similar way. So, you know, and, and now I think the, the discussions now are, okay, well, we need, is it now time for us to look at our founding membership and maybe, you know, maybe there's some additional organizations that might want to come on board now that we've had, now that they can see what we've done over the last five years. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened simply because, you know, this this work is only getting bigger. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we, we need to get more money. Well, do you see Millhouse having a different commercial model? I mean, right now you're heavily dependent on third parties. Yeah, and look, that that's if you look at other social enterprise intermediaries, that's always the thing. It's like, well, now you got to now you got to take your own medicine. Like, yeah. where's your sustainable business model? Like, we, we can't charge people the cost of our programs. Um, intermediaries who've tried that in the past have... They're no longer in business. Mm. Um, so over the years, you know, um, certainly we have looked at opportunities where, you know, I thought that our skills as a board, you know, as, as a founding group of members and sort of my skills as a CEO where I could, you know, get in there. But that's – these things are, you know, and this is – any intermediary out there will understand, like, this is challenging because it's risk. Yeah. So you think, okay, well, we have a model um, and we can work work within that. But if we take on a commercial, if we, you know, if we – buy a building and we lease it, or if we, you know, buy a business and we run it, or if we do something else, that's, that's a risk. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And but certainly, it's certainly we have, um, and my members are a bank at a university, so there's different tolerance levels um, for, for risk. And, and you're currently located at the university? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it is interesting, because if you look at the similar model for more or less incubators. I know mm-hmm. you're saying intermediary, but it's really an incubator. Yes, that's that. They are types of intermediaries as well. And if you look at, at that type of a model for for profit, the the usual model is well, we'll get you to a point, and then we may invest in you, and then that's where they get their revenue to yeah. their investments yeah. to to regenerate. You're not doing any kind of ownership. Look, we, we did do. Um, in our first, actually, in our first year was the only year we we did equity investments, um, okay. and that was it was cha- it was challenging because again I was the only employee at that time, so I was raising money and finding the and running the deal, doing the deal flow and preparing them, and so it was like, uh. um, but certainly that that model exists. I think um, certainly if someone gave me you know a hundred million dollars and they said they wanted me to do investment in social enterprise, like we we no, probably not a hundred million, but like we we could do that. Um, that that cert- that's another. I guess another business model for intermediaries like us. Um, certainly, that was that's what we did at EpiCorp, which was my first job in this space uh-huh. a million years ago. Um, we ran, you know we ran an investment fund. We took management fees on that investment fund. We invested, and then we took fees from you know commercial activities that we supported with the things that we invested in. So that's a very well sort of you know traversed model. I think the challenge is um, we are still. Uh, you got to have social enterprises that are ready for investment. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that just that that takes time for them to get that big, um, and because of the nature of their business models, you know, we probably have in Australia a handful um, that are not asset backed. So yeah. certainly the asset backed ones, you know, if you want to buy a building or if you want like there's t- that money's out there. Mm. Um, that's really not the space 
um, where there's a lot of need. Yeah. And as you say, asset back for people that may not be familiar with that term. Uh, I mean, basically, it's physical assets that they yeah. can if sell. If we want to build houses for people with disability or if you or homelessness or that, like if you, those sorts of things, there's plenty of money, like because that's what's happened in terms of like mainstream um, venture capital and private equity has gotten to the impact, right? right? So that's the sort of work we do. You know, I do do that sort of work at SVA. Um, but th- at this very early stage, it's still, you know, you're, you're basically making grants and hopes yeah. <laughs> in these really early stage organizations. And then and then once they get to that next stage um, where, you know, they're trading, they do have a business model, then because then the founders they don't they're not really that interested in equity um, because then obviously that 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 sort of implies that they're thinking about an exit like how, you know that that's that, that's the next thing it's like well that's not what we're trying to do here right um, so then they might be better suited to more like debt instruments and yeah if if I'm making yeah sense. no it makes a lot of sense and I also can think about people that want to make impact don't realize they're buying themselves a job. Yeah. And soon that becomes a reality of what you have to do to, to achieve that may not be what they want to do for exactly. a living, yeah. too. Yeah. Some of the, I guess the, the other thing about funding is that, um, I mean, just through your incubator program, the idea that you sometimes would probably have to convince people they need to make money. Mm, mm. Probably, it's a funny thing, probably... M- we do a lot of weeding. <laughs> so, you know, by the time they get into our program, they understand what social enterprise is. They're committed to it because a lot of what we do in the short time that we typically have, so we might be working intensely with a client for between three and six months. And usually we're doing a proof of concept. We're doing some sort of market validation activity. So we are talking to real human beings. We have to get out of the building. We've got to do all that, all that stuff. So, you know, it's really more on the early end where people were, you know, I do lots. My, my favorite thing to do is we have a program called Introduction to Community Social Enterprise. And I love doing those all over the region. And, and I go to on a Saturday morning in public libraries and I put on tea and biscuits and I just invite people who want to have impact. And I say, and it's, you know, what do you want to do? And that's usually where I have the, oh, you mean I can't just get a grant? <laughs> yeah. Like they, they thought they were going to come and I was going to tell them, oh, that's fantastic. You will be able to get a grant to do that. And I go, well, you might be able to get a grant to try that. Um, but then how are you going to sustain it? And they go, oh, man, that's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, yeah. you know, that is the that is the reality of the for purpose sector at this moment. There is, you know, all that m- money is just much more contested. There's a lot of competition for money. You know, I see people every day with ideas and I go, well, did you know that there are like five organizations that are already funded in Canberra to do that and they're already strapped for cash and they're competing against each other? Like, go volunteer or go work for one of them. Like, that's part of the sometimes what I have to tell people as well. Yeah, I imagine so. Now, when you're talking about your network of people that you bring in to help these people, and if you were a young social entrepreneur, um, from an organizational point of view, not from an age perspective, trying to build something. What are the key resources that they need to get around them to support them? Look, the main things, it depends on what they what they bring. So it's always about complementarity. So in social enterprise, you are doing two things. And you are trying to, you're basically t- trying to sustain impact um, and you're working with real people. So the way that you sustain impact at the beginning of your journey might not be the way you do it at the end. Um, and then you're also trying to run a business. 
And one of the things that I've observed over many years now is that some of the best social enterprises have two founders. So you actually have two people who are, who are, because it's just really hard for one person to do both of those things. So if you have two people who are, you know, of equal stature working together and one's really focused on the business and how we're going to make money and the other one's really focused on working with people and understanding what that impact narrative is, um, then that works. But, but in reality, I never get to, hardly ever get two people. So I'm always faced with one of those things or some interesting combination of one of those things. So then what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to actually figure out, well, how can I complement that? Yeah. Yeah. So you need someone who has stronger financial skills or you have someone that has more of a operation acumen. Yeah. And I found, it, particularly, the, it's an interesting, interesting thing because of an, at the six years with Millhouse, and I found in the early years, it was always, wow, it was like these fantastic community development workers or people, volunteers and organizations and, you know, our fantastic, you know, retirees in this community who, you know, have so much knowledge and they'll be, and, and then you go, gee, you, we, this is perfect. I just need an entrepreneur <laughs> to work with you. And then this will be, you know, and now six years in, I, I meet, it's the business people and I have to go, wow, you, you are, you are an excellent operate, you know, operator. You, you know, you run that cafe, you run that consultancy business, but you are, you know, you say you want to help people who are homeless, but you've never been homeless. You don't know anybody, you know? Yeah. So like, I've got to find, I've got to find an impact partner to, to ground you. Um, so, and it's interesting that over the time I've had this sort of shift where now it's almost like I have, I, my, if I look at my clients, it's more mainstream entrepreneurs who are saying, gosh, I'm really, something's on my heart around impact. I have no idea where to start. And I go, okay, well, first thing we do is we need to find an impact partner for you. Yeah. So are you playing matchmaker more? Yeah. 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 And look, I think I've, that's always what I've been doing, but now that, that I have the, it, it's harder to find an entrepreneur <laughs> than it is to find an impact partner. Okay, so, interesting. So now that I'm, I'm at that point, it's more like, okay, well, now we need to find one that has a model. We have to find one that's even willing to talk to an entrepreneur because there are lots of people in the for-purpose sector who are still, I've already said this, you know, really, um, you know, it's almost like a prejudice. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do you, you know, you're making money. You couldn't possibly understand our sector. You couldn't possibly, you know, be able to do what we do. And so, you know, sometimes I have to make sure that I try to match people up who are not going to then throw water on this other, on this, on this person, because I really do want to stoke that fire. I, I want them to, I don't even care if they, if it becomes a social enterprise, I want them to be passionate about impact because I think it's going to make them a better business person. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started your, um, let's just say you started Millhouse, you started no sweat, imp no sweat fashions as well, and we haven't talked about that one much. But you've obviously had some experience, not only with your own organization as well as others. Let's just talk about basics, the kind of things that you need to set up a business, or in this case, social entrepreneur, um, enterprise type business. What do you need to get in place just just to get going? So you have your impact, you have an idea for how to make money, but there's some nuts and bolts along the way that you yeah. got to get in place just to make this work. What are the things that you would advise? Yeah, look, the biggest thing you need is a customer. So, and that's that's what we work on. It's like, okay, well, what problem are you trying to solve? And who, and, you know, I love it when people go, oh, my market is anyone. Or it's like, you know, no, it is not. It is someone very, very specific. It is a 45-year-old woman who's this educated at this level. Like, you know, it's, it's actually doing that next 
um, that next stage with them and then figuring out, okay, well, if, if this is your target customer, how are we going to validate that? So a lot of what we do at Millhouse is, is proof of concept. You know, it's basically saying, okay, well, who can we approach to do a trial or who can we approach to do a focus group or who, who is willing to be your first, you know, who's willing to try this thing out? So it's, yeah, a customer. Yeah. And then for basic operations in the background, I, I think there's too many people that probably start with this kind of stuff, which is, oh, I need a website. Oh, I need, yeah, no. I need a business no. card. No, I, I, I hate that. Like, I, I, I look, I, I get it, and I, and I know that is a, that is a discipline, but it's also a business, you know. So I, I don't, I always think that, um, and it's probably because I started my career working with technologists. So I would work with, um, I did I did research commercialization. So, and I'd go, marketing is the thing you do before you write the first line of code. And they'd go, what? No, we build it, we make it perfect, and then we take it to customers. They're like, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. We we find out what the custom, what the problem is, we find out how we can solve it, and then we build it. And it, when whatever we need to show them in the meantime, whatever sort of puppetry or wizardry or, you know, fake thing we need to put out there, to be able to validate it, and then we go and build it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's good advice, even for a established organization that is thinking about adding something new, right? Yeah. Like that, oftentimes is the case where they're like, "Well, we need we need a slogan, we need a, a brand, a sub brand for this," and, and then go yeah. out and get all that stuff done before they've even tested the market. Yeah. And then I, you know, the the added side is you're doing this for purpose. So you know, nothing about us without us. Like, you also have to talk to the people that you're trying to help. Like, you also have to engage those people with lived experience, you know, to understand, well, yes, you have this really great idea about how you want to support people with disabilities, but is this a really not a good place to work? <laughs> you know, is it cold? Does it have too many steps? Like, there, there's a lot of really tangible things um, that oftentimes people sort of forget about <laughs> yes. um, in terms of actually the area of impact that they want to have because they just have this idea in their, in their mind. They want to make a difference, and they don't understand that that is as much, and I've learned this from hard experience, that is as much of an experiment as the business side, because people don't always want to be helped in the way that you that you want to help them. Just because you've come up with this idea about how you want to support people or how you want to improve the environment or how you want to, doesn't mean that that's valid. <laughs> There's actually a validation process that has to go on that side as well. And it's really difficult to hold those two things because they're in tension. They're always fighting against each other. Is there, is there a sweet spot? Uh, look, I, I think... If you talk to social entrepreneurs, they are people who are very comfortable with ambiguity. They are people who are very values-driven. Um, they have usually built structures around them. So I'm talking about boards of directors and advisors, mm -hmm. and you know, and you know, groups of pe with people with lived experience on this. So they've built structures around them to help keep them accountable. Mm -hmm. That's really the only thing you can do because when you're in it, and I've been in it, and I've seen people in it. You're just you're just being pulled back and forth all the time. Yeah. So the only thing you can do, and I think that's probably why part of the reason why we stay connected to Millhouse graduates for so many years. It's like Hotel California; they never leave um, because they they come back. Particularly those who maybe haven't formed some of those structures, is they actually come back and they they just want to sit across from us and we go, okay, what's happening over here? What's happening over here? Like let's talk about it because they don't have that in their day to day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just the feedback loop. Yeah. Are, are you seeing trends as far as um, the type of social impact projects or enterprises that are, that are 
being started right now compared to before maybe even COVID? Um, probably two areas, and some of this might just be uh, kind of where my own kind of thinking and, and work is going. But the one thing, work integration, social enterprise. So that was my first one. So these are business. These are our businesses that exist to create transitional employment opportunities for people who experience barriers to mainstream labor market participation. So we saw during COVID that 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 all that COVID basically exacerbated. <laughs> so if you already had these pre-existing vulnerabilities and challenges, once we got to that situation with the, you know, the pandemic, that, that just made it worse. Yeah. And so I think certainly what what I saw was even, you know, more mainstream businesses saying, wow, I, I'm looking around and it's people who are already doing it tough are doing it even more tough. So what can I do? And so creating those, those that's, that's where there's a lot of work. Um, I think the other area, and this probably is a reflection of my, my personal, my research interests and sort of where I'm going, um, is indigenous entrepreneurship. So that's, that's, that's huge. Um, but also where I work, because I'm not an Australian indigenous person, so I work in that nexus because I want to be an ally. And I increasingly see um, other you know, non-indigenous impact practitioners kind of approach this interface of reconciliation saying, what what can we do together? How can I work with you? Mm. Um, whereas previously, you know, for so many years, people have gone into indigenous communities, they've taken artwork, they've taken bush foods, they've taken medicines, they've taken ideas, concepts, language, and, and commercialized it. And so now, you know, that's just not on anymore. Like that will, just, mm. <laughs> if you try to do that out there, like that will get called out so quickly and you will be so like attacked, <laughs> um, you know, in terms of, you know, reputational damage. Um, but that doesn't mean it, sh it that doesn't mean that, that non-Indigenous people and Indigenous people can't venture together. Um, in fact, I personally think that is the ripest area for reconciliation in this country right now. But that's probably another podcast. <laughs> but that's probably what, that, that's that area where people are like, how do I, you know, and I have these conversations. People are like, how do I decolonize what I do? And I'm like, I love that word. You probably don't know what it means, but let's talk about it. Like, yeah. what, do you, what does that mean to you? And how, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, I think it's a it's a great opportunity now to to talk about how you've moved away from Millhouse. You've just let go of that CEO hat. Yep. You're now the chief impact, impact officer. officer yes. um, what are your intentions? You're obviously on a lot of boards that are very similar um, in terms of mission, but in different locations, perhaps. And what's your plans with this PhD too? Because I don't. I, I think you need to dive into it a little bit further to, to really explain what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And look, um, my my PhD. I'm a PhD student at Swinburne University of Technology in the Center for Social Impact, and I my my PhD is on Kimberly Indigenous Women's Leadership and Entrepreneurship. So, and I'm part of a collaboration. So, um, throughout the world, globally, microenterprise has been a key development logic. So it's the idea that you look at these communities that, and if you want to empower, we all know that if you want to empower a community, investing in women is how to do it because you get exponential benefits. Investing in a woman, you then invest, it's intergenerational benefits of investing in women. So then there's a lot of focus, sorry, there's a little bit of backstory and I'll get there. So, <laughs> 
the, the whole idea is, okay, well, if we change the way that women produce, because pr typically women produce in households, if we actually get them involved in market activity, um, that will be a way to be able to get communities out of poverty. So just think that's a development logic. Okay, wait. So we got to say produce, and we're talking about producing goods and services. Good, goods and services. Yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. There you go. So that logic is now increasingly being applied to the gap, right? This, this thing that we talk about in Australia about this persistent um, difference in terms of um, Aboriginal sort of living conditions, particularly those who live in rural and remote regions and mainstream Australians. Like, basically, there are parts of our country that are like third world countries or the global south, and so, so that many people are now looking to the global south, looking to these you know, development things that were happening in Fiji or Cambodia or Indonesia and saying, ah, maybe there's something we can learn here. So that is the genesis for this project that's happening in the Kimberley. So there's a philanthropist, there's a social impact intermediary, and I'm part of the team as the embedded researcher. And so what, what, this, is, what this journey has been for me is really looking at, okay, this is looking at basically indigenous economic development. And that's what, what, what I, I think that's where I'm going. I don't know what, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but this project has just been... Um, amazing in terms of the insights, in terms of how Indigenous Australians, you know, First Australians have always ventured. Um, and yet, we, we, in the last 150 years, we came in and we dispossessed them of their languages and the way that they ventured, their connections to country, we took their children. Like, there's a whole range of things that have challenged their ability to get their heads around the way we vent, the way business works now. And so if you, if you want to go into communities and you want to say, well, micro-business is going to be a way for you to get out of poverty, a way to close the gap, you've got to understand how they do it. Mm. You can't impose my idea of what business is. And that's what we've always done. Yeah. So then you wonder, okay, well, we've been putting all these, um, you know, all this money into, you know, indigenous business investment, and, and why isn't it working? What's wrong with these people? Well, that's always the thing. What's wrong with these? Like, no, what's wrong with your logic? <laughs> what's wrong with this thing that you've imposed? And so part of what, I, what my research is really about is sitting back and just trying to understand and listen and, and, and observe what is different. And, and one of the main things that we've learned is that how um, how indigenous, how first, you know, nations, communities, and not just Australian, but globally, but w particularly in the context that I'm working in, wealth means different things. Yeah. And so, and if you, and if that's, and if you understand that, then how they venture is going to be different. Yeah. And then the sorts of support that they need from these organizations, from these intermediaries, it need, has to be different as well. Oh gosh, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, when we talk about providing a service through your operations, it is kind of a well, I know what they need. It's obvious. Yeah. Right? It's kind of obvious that they don't have what I have, and therefore that's what they need. And therefore all I got to do is find a way to provide that to them. Yeah, wrong but, answer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's what I mean. Look, it's, you know, it's so much of what we have learned, and it's, you know, it's it's amazing. It's it's the heroes to me are like the anthropologists, the people who've been out there, and they said this, you know, and they come back and they go, but, but do you understand that when you – Impose when you tell this woman that the only way she can have she can have a business is that she sets up a separate bank account to her family and puts the money over here and she treats it in this way. Well, that's not that's not how it works. That's not how wealth moves in her family. That's not how she that. And you're actually by imposing that logic, you're actually causing more 
trauma, <laughs> stress, which is then going to have an impact on her ability to achieve her business outcomes. Yeah. And yet so. uh, good accounting practices, the tax laws and such require you to have a separate bank account. So how do you get around that? Yep. Yeah. Gosh, some different challenges. Different challenges. But but look, it's it's um, it's really been amazing to sort of think about. And that's, I think that's the whole thing. It's like, well, why does it have to be like that? It's like, okay, well, well, who said? Yeah. And, and why? And and what happens when people have been, you know, just constantly dispossessed in their way, their knowledge, their connections that have been told that that's not important. Um, and yet at the same time, there is lots of money to be made in the Kimberly. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the, you know, and lots of money that is being made on the backs of the indigenous people um, and, you know, resources that have been extracted, um, you know, all the, the tourism, all of the, the, the knowledge, and yet who's not benefiting from it? <laughs> so, yeah. I think this, this is probably a good point just to, to try to apply it to other organizations that, um, that are obviously with different missions and different goals, but the reality is that every once in a while, if you don't do it already, you need to step back and just look at your impact and see if you're actually achieving it. And if not, why not, right? Yeah, yeah. and look, it's a, it's a tough thing because you think, and when I talk to social and, and when I talk to social entrepreneurs, you know, we talk about what we do as being tran- transitory, like three to five year business models, like because <laughs> we we don't we we are we don't want to invest in the long term in this problem. We're trying to solve the problem. We're trying to change the narrative. We want to, we want to then look at how we might need to adapt this organization to adjust to address a new challenge. But that's that's difficult and sort of mainstream. You know, not not to you know have a go at our not-for-profit sector of friends. That's really important. Um, but sometimes there's an institutional. When you have that sort of institutionalization, you have this sort of locked in of the problem mm-hmm. and how we solve the problem. And actually, there's no they they don't want that problem to be over because then <laughs> their livelihood is over. And they do and they express that in ways that yeah is sometimes counterproductive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think three to five her- year horizon is because if you want to achieve anything, that's always been kind of the corporate way of doing things, yeah. isn't it? And even government. I- I've seen um, I've seen a lot of governance and other policies and procedures that have been brought through into not-for-profits and charities that have come from government and corporate that don't work at all. Um, and, and yet they use them because they think that that's how you do it. So examples would be a, um, a a procedural document that looks like it was written in ISO <laughs> 9000 yeah. standards that no individual who is working there as a volunteer would actually recognize and understand. From from your experience of all the the work that you've done with so many different social enterprises and and not for profits for that matter, what are some common themes that you would um, I suppose see for for the good ones, for the ones that are that are actually making that impact and are still financially sustainable and are continuing. What are the common things that they're doing right? Um, they have good structures. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, they've got they've actually got paid full time managers <laughs> um, at at different levels of the organization. They've also got boards. Um, so they've actually built that sort of accountability and governance layers. They are also committed to um, communicating. So what I mean by that is, you know, everybody talks about, oh, well, you need to do an annual report or you got to do this thing every year to ASIC. No, you actually need to talk to your community in a way that they will understand mm-hmm. <laughs> about 
your impact and about whether you, and how you have been successful in that. And when I look at social enterprises, um, you know, some, some of them are even as, to the point where they have formal research relationships, where they're regularly having people come in and from the outside. You know, they might be working with a, you know, PhD student or a master's student who's, who's publishing insights, and there's data um, that's, that's freely available and contested about, you know, and people can look at, um, you know, peer-reviewed um, things about, well, how are they working and how do they partner and how have they structured this? Um, I think the other things is being really, you know, the structure is whatever structure it needs to be to accomplish your impact. So again, in Australia, where we don't have a, a, a for-profit, a for-purpose, you know, legal entity, I've seen lots of really interesting, those ones who are really doing, um, you know, I think they're doing really exceptional things. They have sort of cobbled things together so that you might, and what I mean by that is they might have a not-for-profit, a company limited by guarantee, but they might also have a company limited by shares. Mm. Um, and they've got, you know, Good impact investors that are and patient impact investors um, in there um, who are who are committed to their mission and so they they've done basically I think the if it come down to the themes it's really around uh, when you run a business it, it's it can be very it's very insular it's it's basically you yeah. um, you know and and I think the thing about social entrepreneurs is you it's you're putting a bit of it out. It's like taking a little bit of your heart and you're kind of putting it out there and you're saying, who's with me? Like, who else is willing to be accountable for this thing um, along? And yes, in the meantime, you still have all the financial things and you still got to, people got to get paid and those sorts of things. But there's this level of a, and a willingness to embed that enterprise in a place and in a community. When I see that happening... I, I know they're in for the long run. Because it's not about themselves anymore. It's not about themselves. It's, yeah. it's about, you're almost creating a, you know, the, you're almost creating a public asset. Um, and, you know, you're, you're regularly inviting people with lived experience and, you know, traditional custodians and, you know, professional service providers to be engaged and to have a say in how this thing operates. Yeah. I would not have guessed that was what you're going to say. <laughs> but I, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it really does because, like you say, that, Somebody who wants to start an organization, especially, um, you know, someone who's an entrepreneur who's thinking about doing social change, they are leaving a part of their hearts there. And, and the minute that they decide it's not just their heart, it's others, that's when it becomes a community mission. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Would not have seen that. <laughs> I, I know we're um, just about out of time, Cindy, so I just wanted to wrap up with a couple more questions. Um, what are some of the resources that you use to become a better uh, executive, social entrepreneur yourself, and, and your other goals. What are some, it could be podcasts or books or um, websites, what, what resources would you find useful that maybe somebody else might too? Um, this is the part where I'm going to let you down because I have like a whole <laughs> list of great business books or podcasts because I, I, I think for me, because this is not just a, a job, it's a vocation and a mission, and I'm embedded in it all the time. So, like, when I'm not at work, it's just not anything. <laughs> it's, you know, I love true crime, so Australian true crime podcast, um, which, of course, has nothing to do. But, look, it's uh, for me, it's having the ability to turn off. And I think the, the biggest um, – recently, I think, for me, has been um, the boards that I've joined – and being able to find people who are further along, who are mature. Like, I think for a long time, I, I kind of was feeling a little bit stuck in that, 
Like, I've been doing this a long time. I'm considered an expert in social enterprise. Well, I don't always want to be the smartest person in the room. Like, <laughs> and so I figured out that I just needed to find different rooms to be in. And I think particularly over the last year and why I'm doing, for instance, the PhD study and I've, you know, jo joined a few boards, I've just recently put myself in some different rooms. And I feel really excited and I feel like it's like a new lease on <laughs> even, you know, my professional work. The, the work that I do day to day hasn't changed, but my perspectives have changed because I get to spend time with people who are looking at it from different, um, you know, looking at it from different ways. And, I, and that was really just um, kind of getting over the, oh, am I going to be good enough? Or what if they don't, what if they don't like me? Like actually putting my hand up for things and, and being willing to, to do that. Love that. Love that advice that it's actually people and not some, you know, th most people would think about books and other things, but you're actually looking for individuals to, to um, spend time with. Yeah. And, and I love that, that that's how you've approached that. If people wanted to know more about some of the projects and things that you're working on, I know that's evolving as we speak. Um, where's the best place for them to go? Um, well, I guess for me, I'm, I love LinkedIn. <laughs> so I t that tends to be kind of my public space where I share all the different aspects, so be it my either study or professional work or even the um, non-executive director stuff that I do or community stuff that I do. Um, yeah, just reach out to me there. Okay, great. Cindy, thank you for all you do. It, Whenever we have these conversations, both privately and, and, and even what we've done today, I feel like my brain is about to explode. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> just because there's so much information in what you say, and, and also just because you look at things so differently. I, I think people think that there's this not-for-profit piece and charity piece, and then you have for-profit, and there's nothing in between, and yet you look at it so differently. And, a spectrum. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's evolving from you know, definitely various shades of color that that can impact the community in a totally different way and the way that you look at investment into social enterprise and, and the things you are thinking about for the future in particular can really, really change generations. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing what you do with that and just, you know, thank you for the work you do. Oh, thank you very much, Tammy. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Tammy again. When I'm not doing podcasts, I'm actually helping not-for-profits with their IT decisions. Now, for this segment we have in IT in plain English, I have a question that asks, what's the one affordable thing we can do that will dramatically increase our cybersecurity? Now, this is a hot topic these days, as you can imagine, but one of the cheapest things that you can do is actually regular training for your staff. There's some research out there that says that somewhere between 74 to 88 percent of all cybersecurity breaches is actually caused by an employee's mistake or negligence. So even though it sounds easy, don't underestimate that particular opportunity to decrease your cybersecurity by just basic investment in your team's training. Now, on another note, if uh, you're already doing that, the other thing that you need to do is go ahead and look and see if your devices, your PCs and laptops, are actually still being supported by the provider. Most of them are probably Microsoft, so I'm going to speak specifically for Microsoft operating systems. Um, if you have an IT person, whether it's internal or external, then it's really good for them to go ahead and do an audit on an annual basis if you don't already have an asset management um, register somewhere to make sure that everything's being supported by Microsoft. So 
As of January 2023, as an example, anything that's on Windows 8.1 will actually no longer be supported from a security perspective. So rather than waiting until then, it's a good time to start looking at it now and get it into your budgets because this is something that has to be done if you want to keep your organization's data safe. Uh, same thing with servers. If you have your own servers, I would get your IT person to identify them all and find out if those are still being supported. It's not uncommon for me to go into organizations and find desktops and laptops as well as servers that haven't been supported by the vendor in a very long time. So this is one of the easiest ways for them to get into your organization through a backdoor of a known security issue. So I highly recommend you go ahead and do that. Just get a hold of your IT person to help you out. So I hope in plain English that was um, one easy way, except it was two easy ways to go ahead and help yourself from a cybersecurity perspective. If you have an IT question and you want to send it to me, then feel free to contact me on LinkedIn. Send me a message and I just might answer your question on the show. And of course, if you like the show and liked what you hear, then please go ahead and, and subscribe to this page. Uh, make sure you leave us a review when you have a chance. And for those of you who are executives with the cause, I just wanted to say thank you for the work that you do. You and your teams are actually making a huge difference to this world, and we know that. So thank you, and keep doing that. <laughs>